0: it's Fern here popping in quickly before the show because I really want to hear from you I am forever grateful to you every single time you press play on an episode of happy place and this show really is for you so in the interest of doing more stuff that you love and less of the stuff you're not bothered by I would love it if you took a couple of minutes to fill out a little survey for me the link will be in the show notes your input on the content and the format and the guests and all those types of things is so important to help me and the Happy Place team shape the future of Happy Place. So just click on the link in the show notes to share all your thoughts and musings. I appreciate you loads. Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the podcast that delves a little deeper into the hidden worlds of people we might think we know well. I'm Fern Cotton, and today I'm chatting to Jamie Oliver.
1: It's really hard to teach that failure is the most precious commodity. Like, that shapes you. That creates a memory in your brain that sticks. Like, just coasting stuff is nothing. Even my biggest failures, and I've had quite a few, have carried incredible value and merit. And if it changes you in a positive way from then onwards, then I think you can take it as a positive...
0: Jamie very kindly invited me to his gorgeous office in North London for our chat. It's stunning. There's obviously tonnes of food. You walk in and you're hit by the most sensational smells. There's very happy people walking around everywhere. Everyone loves working there. It's a beautiful office with pots and pans hanging on walls and a huge kitchen area and sofa areas to sit and enjoy free cake. It really is the dream. Seeing him in the beating heart of his world like that was so lovely. He's been doing all of this cooking TV activism around food and poverty for decades now. So it's brilliant to see firsthand how much fire he's still got inside of him. What was really interesting though was hearing what it is that continues to motivate him to keep pushing for change, even when it gets hard. In fact, even when he himself doesn't enjoy the work. Lots of great little life lessons in here about why there's never going to be anything comfortable about facilitating change, but we should advocate for it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices If you enjoy listening to the Happy Place podcast and you would like to hear more deep chats in the flesh, why not come join me for a beautiful night at the Cadogan Hall in London on the 18th of January. It's to celebrate the release of my new book, Bigger Than Us. I'm going to be talking to some very interesting people and there'll also be some live meditation sessions. If you'd like to join me, check the show notes for the link to get yourself a ticket. All right, here's the show. Hi, Jamie.
1: Hi, I'm oh. so excited to be on your show.
0: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be in your beautiful space that you have here. This oh, is your kind of you. office-come-filming place and experimenting with food yes. situation.
1: HQ. Are we are People get very impressed when they come in here because it's kind of exciting and it's like very visceral. You can see a lot of stuff going on. But what they don't understand is there were 17 years of busking it and ducking and diving and terrible offices and, you know, shacks. Um, so, yeah, about four years ago we got organised and... This building is dedicated to food and writing food and the flow of content. And so, yeah, when you come in, you can't help but get sucked into It's beautiful and it things.
0: obviously smells amazing when you walk <laughs> yeah. in as well. What were you kicking up there today? Uh,
1: so I was doing like a kind of twist on a French toast and a bread and a buttered pudding. Oh um, using up leftover panettone or croissants or brioche from like the Christmas season and just putting it in a little vanilla egg Uh, for that kind of custard and then on the mid like doing a sandwich in the middle just like chocolate and tin peaches and it's like the simplest dessert ever and if you if you drop it if you rip it if you tear it if you do it badly if you've got half panettone and half it's the most forgiving recipes and they're the recipes that i always love when i I, sometimes i try and do them one-handed and think like if it can come (laughs) out all right then Maybe. Anyone can do Maybe this. Maybe anyone can do it, yeah. <laughs> so that's the I vibe. I love a
0: tinned peach. You know what I made from your new, brilliant, beautiful book together? the Aubergines. Um, auber- the tender, yeah. sticky aubergines. Yeah. And I'd never cooked aubergines like that before. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you did that.
0: It was gorgeous. Yeah. Really I, dreamy. I so,
1: I'm so impressed. Like, aubergines is something that's baffled British people for yeah. a long time.
0: I think so. I mean, you have to almost use excessive amounts of oil, it seems, but not in this recipe. No, no, no. I mean, not I think, at all.
1: No, no, because I think that's, and that's where we got it confused. It's like quite a lot of recipes you know genuinely use a lot of oil to fry it diced or sliced but that's that's like just the tip of the iceberg like if you steam them and then fry them then you get this kind of curdy mm. kind of buttery fleshy gorgeousness oh, they're the best. um and then you can get crispy skin that's just kind of like its own version of crackling um but yeah like i i, I used to actually actually people probably don't know i used to work i used to have a restaurant in japan for three years and um, so I used to work over there and love it and the things that they did with vegetables in general but aubergines particularly was mind-blowing and um, so I sort of that's a nice thing about learning to cook you can kind of go to countries just see techniques not even necessarily the flavors but you can bring certain techniques home and then mix it with you know toad in the hole (laughs) or something that you grew up grew up with and you can just sort of but, uh, well done! Yeah, you did
0: it. oh, it was gorgeous, and it's such a beautiful book. It really reminds me of your Christmas book in the fact that it's for it's a cozy book. Yeah. It feels really sort of nurturing. And I think yeah. I've told you this before, but your Christmas book, which I spy on a shelf there, yeah. is one of my all-time favorite cookbooks. Thank I've made you. so many things from it. I love the leftover section. I've made the trifle several times. And there's times. a potato chapter. There's a potato <laughs> chapter. But this has that same feeling. It's yes. really cozy, and I think. I don't know what your thinking was behind it, but it seems like it's sort of a reaction to what we've just been through, which is, you know, loneliness and being apart. And now this is a time to be together. And of course, eating is one of the best ways to do that in the most comforting sense, Mm. to make a ceremony out of it, to have ritual with other people that you love. It's so important.
1: No, it was. And I, I think, like, comparing it to the Christmas book is probably the best comparison, actually. I think the beautiful thing about food, which... You know, when you think about it, it's like the beautiful thing of music or theatre or even clothes, right? It's context, is everything. And I think that, um, you know, some of the work that I do, TV and books, is like solution-based. And, you know, so creating clarity, you can do in many ways. And, and for this, this was, I think, much deeper. It was much more emotional. It was much more... And, and also amplified and concentrated via COVID, yeah. You know, like, for everyone, no matter where they come from, no matter what their backgrounds, to be told that they can't see their family when you really most wanted them, or celebrate, you know, their or kids' poignant moments in their life when they can't. You know, that that was a tough one for all of us. And normally when you're doing interviews or talking to journalists or bits and pieces like that, like, you're trying to kind of paint a picture of, like, your perspective because it's quite unique. But, of course, we all had this together. Yeah. Um, so together... I think, means something different than it did two years ago. I think the idea of the book, actually, and it it sounds simple, but actually deeply embedded in every page and every word and and every sentence is, um, I realised that the food was just a supporting act to getting together and to sit next to each other, to laugh, to, you know, all those screens and masks, like, no, no, like, just to, like, to be human. So the food is just a supporting act to that. So then when I wrote it, it's all about making the recipes as simple as possible so you can get ahead. Yeah. So you'll notice as you flick through, it's like a lot of the prep happens either in the morning or the day before so that when your mates turn up...
0: It's fun time.
1: You can just smash it.
0: Yeah, yeah. we don't um, want stressful dinner parties. Uh, yeah, because we want... we've all done it, right? We, oh, uh, Even yeah. chefs,
1: by the way, even chefs really, can cook. Really, yeah. Yeah, because, it, because I think part of the success of your night with your friends or family or whatever the gig is, is picking the right meal for the right occasion. Mm. It doesn't matter how good it is. Yeah. If you pick the wrong meal and it hasn't got the right sort of vibe, then it's going to it's gonna distress the, the whole thing. And, um, you know, it's just not going to work out very well.
0: You know, like you would just saying there, screens and masks. You know, I was reading a book about loneliness recently by, I'm pretty sure it was Nore- Norena Hertz who wrote this book about loneliness and saying that we've built these kind of, and this isn't just due to the pandemic, this is prior to that. We've built these kind of like, isolating cocoons where we have like a hood or a hat, sunglasses, headphones in now also perhaps a mask as well. Yeah. You don't have to actually have interaction with the person that you're buying the coffee off or the the person at the school gates or whatever. We're so isolated. So yeah. I love that this book is the antithesis of that. It's be with people you love, look yeah. them in the eye, talk to them, let food be part of it. Yeah. And it be a celebration, but we need that now like, more it, than look, we ever it, have. It's
1: very human. And, and I was having this chat with Jules the other day. And I was watching her phone pinging and the light going up. And as a parent, as a mother, as, you know, like, trying to maintain, like, being a good partner, being a good parent, being a good friend. It's really and then hard. your greater family. That's a lot going on. And yeah. then there's work. It's like, okay, like, ping, 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 ping. I'm like, babe, we, we are so in contact. Like, we are so... Aver- there's too much. Yeah. Like, when's the... So you've kind of got this over-communication... But it's through the veil of technology, which is beautiful, but just not human. No. And um, I think that food has always been about feeding humanity. And I'm pretty sure that most things can be fixed over a meal. Yeah. I really mean mean that. Um, Even when we did Friday Night Feasts, which we did together. Yeah, I love um, doing that. like, Like, we've both done a lot of interviews, but I know that we had a different interview because we were cooking. Yeah. And whether it was Usain Bolt or you or, you know, whoever came on the show, like, it just... It kind of... It's just a very warm, sincere place. And and the interesting thing as well is I, I think that cooks around the country are a dying breed. Like I, I, I'm not under the kind of misconception that, that we're amplifying cooks. I mean, I'm trying to desperately. But you've got to remember the digital revolution. Yeah. That pinging that my wife is getting that that's making it's never been easier to order a takeaway Mm -hmm. which I don't know I mean I think people are just beginning to work out that it's even the cheap ones are really expensive like how how do they I mean it's so expensive yeah and we're not learning to cook at home really in general like the old school and then school's not delivering on the promise that they should so like we're in this kind of slightly weird world and look don't get me wrong the medium of a book is still secondhand and then apps and videos and all of that so like having because we run centers ministry of food centers around the country which is always local people helping local people skin on skin like that's a powerful yeah like powerful thing you know we take people on you know benefits or people that are vulnerable we take them around the community show them how to shop how to budget how to cook it probably one of the most beautiful things that I do but also like this there is the fallacy i mean it exists if you look at it the way you want to look at it but the fallacy that you have to be rich to eat well so it's actually quite a british thing by the way
0: yeah It's I a bet. very british
1: thing like if i if i go to portugal into a poor area italy spain costa rica east la you can like you can see the most incredible food in those areas so that whole twist in the tale about like where's the currency is it cash or is it knowledge
0: and i guess those places that you're naming they're really deep rooted in history and the cuisine is culturally attached yeah. to that history and it's gone through generations of grandparents to, to you know, young. kids. With the kids. exception
1: of East LA, which I think was right. been hit over the head by sort of convenience, which is, but, but certainly the ones that have those roots. And, mm. and, and again, it's, that's really super connected with history, like, you know, Britain... Most many countries had their moment: the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, you know, uh, even the Portuguese. But our Industrial Revolution was the timing of it, and the technology, and when and how, and, and the, the British Empire. Like that's why we lost our roots so much quicker than Europe, because we were like we were like Silicon Valley. Yeah, like they were like like way behind. Um, so we quickly down tools, men and women and kind of started working in different ways. And our food industrialized and brands were created. And then as we, you know, when new technology comes out of any kind, there's always a leveling out and we learn from mistakes and stuff like that. And then by the time the French and the Portuguese were kind of coming up, they, they were still able to kind of hold on to those precious cheeses and, and cured mm. meats and all those lovely that, do you know what I mean? So I think yeah. like, of course, at the time that we would have been so proud of being at like, the top of the game. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's always light and shade, right? And
0: But it's so important, the work that you, you're doing and you've always, you know, you've done this. I guess that's sort of the moment for you, I think, is when you were 26, where, you know, you'd obviously had great success with The Naked Chef and you could have then taken a very easy route of, you know, keep doing TV, keep earning money and, you know, play it easy. But you didn't at that point. That's... That's the moment where you decided to to use this passion that you've just talked about of, of having other people with you face to face, inspiring them, teaching them. And you created 15, the restaurant, which mm. I was lucky enough to go to back in the day. A beautiful concept, taking people from disadvantaged backgrounds, kids that had faced great adversity and training them up to then work in this beautiful restaurant. And, you know, you didn't have to do that. That was obviously something that came from deep within you, a deep passion. What was driving you at that that first sort of point to, to start in, I guess, activism in a way.
1: Yeah, I think it was the beginning of activism. And I think like, I think it was publishing that sort of grounded me, actually, because in days like now where a lot of people are kind of measured on votes or likes or comments or, you know what I mean? And they're all free. So they really don't mean anything. no. Nope. So a book sale is like old fashioned. It's like 15 quid or 20 quid or, you know, like it's, so you can get lucky once or twice, but getting onto third or the fourth, like that's a different ball game. So I really quickly knew who my boss was. Ironically, like I'd gone from being skint to having money, which was like, but only gifted to me by the public. So that actually sat really unusually with me. And um, at the time, a lot of people didn't believe me. But it really did. And my kind of action speak louder than words moment was, do you know what? I'm going to set up and it wasn't. I didn't have a disadvantaged background, but I was like I struggled badly at school. So I knew how that could be a bit of a shade on getting out there and building, you know, CVs and getting jobs. So I I put everything that I had into 15. And my dad didn't agree with it because he because he didn't understand he'd only ever made a hard pound anyway. So he didn't understand what the hell was happening with his son. But also didn't, but didn't believe like charity starts at home. You know, it's like it was quite. You know, so he wasn't. Uh, but I had this feeling in my tummy that it was a journey, like a really exciting thing. And and I, I always say, I could, I wanted to, so I did. And and it was a blend of being stupid, and romantic, and young, and naive. I don't know if the same Jamie ten years later would have done it because I might have been more measured. I was just stupid enough and just wealthy enough to put everything into it. And, and also what a lot of people might not know is halfway through that project, I was technically bankrupt mm. and it was only a check from Penguin, which was like once every six months or whatever, that saved my ass. And also the programme that you saw about it wasn't even commissioned. I'd been fired from the BBC because I'd worked on um, Say No's advert. I said Say No's because like, you know, but it probably doesn't matter because it's a podcast, <laughs> is it so, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm so professional. Um, but no, I don't because they didn't like me doing the adverts, right. And they didn't really have the justification to stop me doing it, and they wouldn't give me the rules to not do it, but they just didn't want me to do it, which of course is not right. So they basically fired me and they asked, actually, they before they fired me, they said, Well, we're commissioning you to do this show about the 15, but you have to what was indemnify it. So it was like a £1.2 million budget, which I, A, I didn't have. And I think I was the first talent in British history to ever been asked to personally indemnify a program. Wow. And I said, I said, fine, because again, I was young enough and stupid yeah. enough. I will, I will indemnify it. What's the rules? And they wouldn't give them to me. It was subjective. I'm like, so you want me to personally indemnify something that is subjective to a bunch of crusties? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> so they fired me. So I had no wow. commissioner. So, So there was definitely. Uh, a moment of build it and they shall come because then slowly but surely channel four came on board and and i was with them for 17 years um, and
0: also the restaurant was a huge success so you yeah. know young and stupid enough maybe but you yeah. did it it's
1: still one of the best things i've ever done yeah, I and, I, and i think it shaped my uh without sounding too romantic it shaped my heart to be open and i think like people always judge you on you now but what they don't realize is and I talk about us both because we have jobs where we're allowed to see things that most normal people wouldn't see because we get sent places or we have to investigate places or we meet people for good reason. And like when you meet these people, they change you. And it's as simple as that. Like you're like, if if you believe in their yeah. values or morals or the mission or their accomplishments, like, so that I'm not the person I was 20 years ago. Like I was enthusiastic. I love food. I love to cook. But, of course, as we all know, cooking can have 25,000 gears. And whether it's the Together book that's like Christmas or Five Ingredients, which is like 15-minute meals, like, they're nothing like each other. Yeah, like, those kids definitely changed. I still speak to, to 15 students yeah, to this I day. Yeah, I met,
0: well, I would have met Kerry Ann, wouldn't I? Because yeah. she was um, on the pier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Well, and it, it obviously, you know, has never left you that feeling. And although you say, you know, you may have changed your outlook and how you go about things, that sort of bedrock of you wanting to do good has never gone away. And you've done so many brilliant things now that have been hugely beneficial. None of them easy though, you know, moving into the territory of trying to change the food in schools and getting rid of food that has low nutritional content, which is obviously, again, we've watched all this play out on TV, great highs, great lows. And it seems like that is such a theme of your life. You've got a big life and you have big highs and big lows and, there's a lot of risk involved, I guess, as well. Would you say that is just part of your personality?
1: Uh, maybe not. Like, really? No, because, like, I mean I, don't, I mean, I can go out and do some jazz hands and sort of, like, have a laugh, but I, there's a lot of parts of me that are quite shy, believe it or not. Like, I mean, maybe not shy in a conventional sense, but, like, quiet, I like quiet. Um, when you do campaigns, it's always rough. Yeah. Always. Why do you um, do it
0: then if you, if, it, if it's I don't not, I really I, want, it, I honestly
1: why? don't really want to do it. Right. Like I do it because I listen hard to the public and they want me to do it because they have no way. Everyone feels like their vote doesn't count. Yeah. Everyone feels that their opinion can't make a change. And because really of the books, because of the vote of the pound, honestly, like because it's not fake, when I listen, it like, they want me to do it. So I do it. And if they say jump, I jump. I mean, literally it's as simple as that. And every time I get a bit like, well, I don't, I can't do it because I, ha- I honestly, I do hate it. I bet. It's like when I was in Greenwich doing school dinners, that was 18 of the darkest months of my life mm. other than when I lost my restaurants. Yeah. Right? So that was tough. But I knew every day that it was one of the most important things I've ever done. But the public kind of pep you up. Just when you're, you're sort of like, oh, I don't need this. I don't need this. And then you get a little message and it's like, no, no, we need you. We it is absolute like you we don't buy the book for free yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a cost and yeah. this is the cost so in a way the public helped me be brave and they helped me be the person that honestly see it, sincerely and um i feel it running through i mean i i'm broad shouldered but there's nothing pleasurable about facilitating the concept of change
0: no it's, it's really always going to be a rough ride it, because you're challenging historic systems that have been in place
1: even if you're for right. a long time. Even if you're right. Even if you're right. And, and even if all the good guys are, are behind you, yeah. um, it, all it does is literally, it, it's like putting a load of um, aggro amongst all the press. Mm-hmm. So everything kind of gets very, uh, how can I say, um, um, overstimulated. And, uh, but do you know what? I, I think it's definitely defined me. I think, it's, I think it's made me a better person. But also, there's so much to be done. So, I mean, literally since school dinners, which is like 15 years ago, I've had three people on it ever since. They're, they're right over there. And on your way out, I will say, meet Kath, meet Ollie. They're talking to corporate CEOs. They're talking to heads of government on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, and it's really funny. Like All the things that are most acutely important, on child health, because that's really what we do. Yeah. Behind the scenes, it's all about child health. Um, the stuff that's really important, like that doesn't mean you do that next, because what the public are ready for, what the press are ready for, what the government ready for, and what logic and science tells us are all at these different sort of ebbs and flows. Mm. And you've got to kind of wait for these moments where you can do one. Yeah. <laughs> and you might not get the next one unless you do that one. Yeah, So... Yeah, I mean... It's, it's, it's full
0: on, isn't it? And, it? and it's really interesting hearing you talk because... Um, it's probably a third
1: of my time. I'm I sure, I, I'm sure. And, and, it, and definitely a third of my brain space.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure at times it's been all consuming. And, and like you say, you know, deeply important, but not easy. And I think often we think the bits of life that are so important are going to be... Exciting, pleasurable fireworks, but it's so brilliant to hear you say, No, these are seriously important things. I don't always like doing them, but it's important. And it's that kind of inner whisper that you can't ignore. Like once you've started learning about something or you know there's a demand for something, that whisper just gets louder and louder. And that's it then. You're on the trail.
1: I've kind of got to the point now where if I do a job and I think I've done a really good job and my. damn, that was, like, a fine job. Like, damn, like, I think, like, everything worked. And in the back of my mind, my brain's going, but you didn't feel any pain. It wasn't, <laughs> like, how can it be good if there's no, been no pain? Like, there's, it's almost like, because definitely the best work I've ever done has involved pain. Right. Um, and now when something goes really well, it's like, well, is that because we're professional? <laughs> um, or, or maybe it's not as good as I think it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, definitely as a dad... And a dad of teenage girls, it's really hard to teach that failure is the most precious commodity. Like that shapes you. That creates a memory in your brain that sticks. Like just coasting stuff is nothing. Mm-hmm. And like so, it's it's really hard to teach that. And 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 I probably I probably not succeeded in teaching that. And unless it's gone in, but not just yeah. I you are actually doing it. Well, I'm trying, but 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 like.
0: By example you're doing putting
1: currency around failure like what it's a very british thing to be sort of failures failure and i'm like mm, i don't know i think even my biggest failures and i've had quite a few uh, have carried incredible value and merit and 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 they if it changes you in a positive way from then onwards then i think you can take it as a positive
0: well, yeah, because it's probably harder today, more so than ever, to encourage people to well, take risks, first of all, because that's how you're going to possibly fail or succeed, but to take risks, to, to have those variables in place. Because cancel culture exists, and we've covered this on many other episodes, but I find it baffling that such a thing exists and that we don't give people a second chance, whether it's people in the public eye or in our lives, that there isn't that wiggle room to fuck up a bit and then try again like that's obviously the whole point of life but we're sort of diminishing that space and it's really dangerous so I think Mm. it's it is a hard job to teach our kids that because society and culture tells us that everything's meant to be shiny and perfect have there ever been moments where you've experienced failure and thought I don't want to try again I haven't got it in me I'm
1: too tired every time really yeah I mean it's a bit like English mustard Do you know what I mean? Like, you you have just too much. It goes right up your hooter. And you're like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. you, But I love you and I love another bit. And then the second bite goes. And it's like like the time when you're hugging the toilet because you've drunk way too much tequila. And you go, alcohol. You are the devil. I will never see you again. You've taken over my body and I I hate you with every ounce. Water, I love you so much. You can refresh my body and everything is pure about you. I love (laughs) you, water more than life itself. And then 36 hours later, would you like a glass of wine? Yes, please. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll take you. What is
0: wrong with this? I've had that where I've had... I don't drink so much anymore, but in my 20s, obviously, I could put it away. And I would.
1: <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah. And I, I would have a big <laughs> night.
0: And the next day, I'd be thinking, I need to do some charity work. I'm going to call my nan. I'd want to try and like redeem myself. Goot. Yeah. Like proper booze gill. Awful, awful. Um,
1: I, At least you grew out of it.
0: I really did. I, 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 if I have like an inch of alcohol, I'm done. It's, yeah. it's embarrassing. Now. I mean, I
1: wouldn't say I've got a drink problem. And I I'm, I'm, don't think I'm an alcoholic, but definitely COVID, I have. Treated alcohol uh, with respect, but um, as a, a different type of like. How is it possible that at five thirty you go? Oh, I think it's time for a little um, little cocktail. Yeah, why not? It's five thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, normally it'd Happy be hour. seven, yeah, seven o'clock on a Friday, but no, no, every night, every night, seven days a week. It's a comforter. Um, just take a yeah, medication. Where's Jules, um, Jules, Jules? Where's my medicine?
0: <laughs> what is your tipple of choice? What were you going for at five well, thirty?
1: Um, I went through a phase of, of adoring and adorning the, the Negroni. Oh, I love the um, Negroni. Which, for anyone that doesn't know what uh, a Negroni is, it's vermouth, it's gin and and, and campari on ice, twists of orange. It's th- essentially three shots. Yeah. So the, the, the scientifically proven theory is nothing good happens after three. Right. Which is nine shots. Um, and uh, just thought I'd do basic maths I'm just trying to pr- I'm just trying to show you that I'm clever you're so clever 3 plus 3 plus 3 that's not well done Jamie you've really done ever so well although I probably couldn't do that sum after 3 Negronis no but I-, I loved it so much it's got sweetness and bitterness and depth of flavour but then something weird happened where my body has gone uh, oh really yeah, I can't Kambori, drink it no, anymore but like, I, I love it yeah if if I drink it now and I've got it down to some of the botanicals in the Campari, I'm crunched up on the floor wow. for like 15 minutes, like pain. Mm, uh, and then I'm back like up it. again and then um, then I'd have another go and then, no back on the floor again. I'm like, uh, so when now, will "I to Yeah, no, but I, it's definitely something <laughs> in that.
0: Right, Campari's like marmite, isn't it? My I my parents love it, so naturally I adore it. But my husband, who does not drink anymore,
1: yeah,
0: used to just Look at me like how it's like drinking
1: sort of yeah with bitters. I think yeah. like is is bitter like it. is an interesting flavour and, and if it's balanced with fragrance and sweetness, it's a really really interesting taste. I love it. Um, but um, a lot of obviously modern food industry has hardly any bitter in it.
0: Mm, no, I can't think nah. of many. No, I'm I'm all we've for kind of ed- or... we've
1: edited it out because yeah. sort of sweet and sour sells really high volumes of things. Um, and put a bit of fat in there and you're you're bingo, bango, bongo, you know, (laughs) but um, bitter's not, um, yeah. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST.
0: Everything that you've achieved and all of this activism that you've done that I'm, I'm deeply fascinated about and the, the pain that you've endured because of a lot of this. And with every project that you've done, whether it's a, a book or... 15 or whatever else you were doing it seems like you have an innate desire to push yourself or push your own boundaries do you think that is again part that's how you're wired
1: yeah I've definitely quite romantically tuned in to hope and it thrills me every day to fantasize about how I think anyone can do anything if they put their mind to it and I also think that I embody that Honestly, and that's, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm like, dude, if I can do, like, you know, if I can do... I was in special needs all of my secondary school life in school. You know, like, I, how can that kid be a published author? The
0: second most biggest selling in the UK published author behind J.K. Rowling.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, how is that... I mean, how is that possible? So I, I and I... And then I think, like, through 15 and through... I don't know if you knew this, but when I wrote Superfood, which is about six, seven years ago, I went back to school. So it's weird because I had a bad relationship with school just because I wasn't able to flourish because it's a system. And if you're dyslexic and you struggle, then you don't quite fit in the system. So you're kind of a problem, um, not an asset. So it took me 10 years to get the chip off my shoulder of school. I loved school, by the way, but like I hated words. I hated reading. I hated spelling. I wrote my first three cookbooks on a dictaphone. And, and I guess that helped me find my voice in a way, but it was a chip on my shoulder, I think. And then every book that came out, I kind of felt a bit more confident. And I went back to school. So I went and studied nutrition for uh, two years. So that part of me allowed to study public life and, and, and health, and particularly my fascination is child health and pregnant women. So I think that through 15 and through that and through the campaigning work that I do it becomes more the romance and hope that is in there becomes more poignant because uh, you start sort of learning a bit about politics and gdp and britain as a country and how does not ju- how do you not just you thrive or your street th- thrive or your town thrive but how does the country thrive and I, it always comes back to the same thing with me which is like Like, we are defined by how bad bad is. So, like, Mm. how bad's bad in Britain? And it's a moving target, by the way. But what's interesting with the COVID mortality rates and the poverty rates and obesity rates is they all track. It's the same map. So then that concept of hope in my funny little body and cooking, everything starts taking on a slightly different, weirder... I mean, obviously, I edit all this before it goes on telly, but you're getting sort of raw... Yeah. Sort of slosh that people don't really normally talk about with me. But so what's the point I'm making? I'm fascinated and I remain hopeful that our poorest communities n- need to be helped to help themselves to, to get out of. The system says that anyone can come from anywhere and go wherever they want. Right, that's Britain. That's democracy. That's that's civilization. That's what we've bought into. But the the reality is, invisibly, yeah. you can call it constructive racism or, or a million other things. But like, essentially, there is a ceiling. Yeah. And, and people that live in those areas often die in those areas, and their kids grow up in those areas. And it's quite you know you've got the tale of two towns. Like it fascinates me, like how one mile can show lower educational attainment, higher obesity, uh, less pay more absenteeism, more illness, higher cost to society through the NHS and earlier mortality, 7 to 11 years, right? And that's a mile away. And then in a very unintelligent way, you can go, but they've got 33 chicken shops and they've got none. Like, you start looking at it like that. And I think that's where, you know, so often... (laughs) I mean, often we're... we're, (laughs) Often really clever people do the data and the truth and the logic and the science and then you need a bit of a knob end like me to go, <laughs> but you got 33 chicken shops over there. <laughs> it's like, no shit, Sherlock. And it's like, I've actually, so I, maybe, I, maybe I can be a mediator between the two worlds. Maybe that's my job. Well,
0: also you're, you have a, a huge well of creativity and creativity is behind all of these beautiful projects. Is putting together all this collation of data or whatever it is in science and going oh, we can, we can work towards some change here. It's not yeah. going to be easy. Yeah. Do you sometimes resent having to take on that huge task? Um, not many other people do it. Well, it's isn't?
1: voluntary. It's voluntary. I could give it all up. But I, 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 But
0: now you know too much, so no. you kind of can't.
1: See, and, and there lies the struggle yeah. with the concept of caring. Mm. Like if, if you're listening to this, and like, the minute you say, I care about that sincerely, like life changes from that second because then the things in and around that and the cascade off of that matter and once it matters then you're you're in an internal conflict f- from that day onwards and it's not in, it's it's the right way cuz caring is beautiful and it's the right human thing to do but it just means that your life... You've just put 30% more stress on your life. Yeah. Uh, ignorance is bliss, by mm-hmm. the way. I mean, they didn't say that for nothing. Yeah. Um, so I think... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I just... I think from my point of view, I don't know... There's such a lot that I'd like to get done. And, it, and, and sometimes it feels hopeless. And, but I also think that the British public are kind of amazing. If you give them good, clear information, they often make great choices... Like they're not, it's not the wild west. They're not dumb. Like, like if you give them good, clear information, they often make good choices. So, so then stop lying. <laughs> yeah. Start you know, give them clarity. Sto- I mean, storytelling and, and, and actually the things that we both do and others, of course, and, and like they need like help. They need that the modern day mum and dad need different things to 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. And you kids know. and, you know, teaching kids in a different way. I think you know, teaching them about food and nutrition and just the importance of it and school sort of changing a bit. And, you know, I I certainly didn't do well at school. I think I came out of six past GCSEs by the end of it because I was already working and my head was not in school. I was not an academic person. Mm. And I think we do need to sort of shake up the system in that way. And and that's definitely how I've sort of seen you from afar, but also seen you work up close. You know, you shake shit up. That's what, that's (laughs) kind of what you do. You're You're a positive disruptor. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my dad always taught me to action speak louder than words. Mm. And I think you just got to like crack on. And, and certainly like, you know, even if you walk through this building, they're, well, we're a B Corp now, which yeah. might not mean anything to some people listening. But that essentially um, what I was trying to do myself in my business and create this sort of social business that had these sort of, you know, archeries of care throughout, you know, so if we're going to sell something, how does it help the yeah. story? How does it improve something how does it we shouldn't be selling anything that doesn't make it better so you know with the exception of laughter you know basically you've just got to, we've got to be like pushing the boundaries here so I struggled with that for about 15 years and a B Corp basically it's like the tax man coming in and they, they look at your books but they go through all your drawers all your sort of special drawers it's draws rigorous isn't it Yeah, so yeah. Long, and, and it's like years they inter- right? yeah they interview it's hard to get but we we were we kind of we came in like nearly two years ago give or take um, but It's been really helpful to me because it aligns the whole company. And uh, it's about values and it's about impact on the planet. It's about supply chains. It's about how you treat your staff. It's about what you promise you do and do you do it? Yeah. And um, it's voluntary, obviously. You don't normally want to hand over. I mean, they get like 10 times the information the tax man gets. It's kind of like the... It's not perfect, but it's the best we got. And yeah. I would encourage any business to to have a go. But, yeah, I've found that really helpful to aligning all of my teams to try and be commercial because we've got bills to pay, um, but make sure that there's real consistency of care and thoughtfulness through that. And, yeah, I mean, and that, so that lives not just within products. I, I mean, I don't really need it because I'm sort of in it, but... It would be impossible for me. Like, like, for instance, like, all right, so a few years ago, I did my veg cookbook. Yeah. That took me nine, nine years to get that away.
0: Wow. Right.
1: And finally, we got it away. And bless, it's like, the best-selling veg cookbook in history which is fantastic that was of course that was the intention yeah it took nine years to get that away but what no one knows is that every book i've ever written has had 65% veggie recipes in Mm. Do you know what i mean you don't need a whole book it's, it's it's like being the large but of course it's just a way of looking at it but like now like through being a b corp we wouldn't be allowed to do too many meat recipes yeah it, it wouldn't be loud. No. Uh, and we wouldn't be allowed to have just in, indulgent recipes. So it's a bit that, I guess it's about proving walking the walk and talking the talk. Uh, and I quite like that because even before we came at B Corp, which I know, too much of the good stuff that I had done was luck. Not luck through in, lack of intention. There was always an intention, but like, oh my God, that wouldn't have happened if you weren't there on that day. And, and there's just like, so I think what's really good about this is like giving yourself you know, as a group, these things that hopefully make us do better and better, and we'll see in 10 years' time, if we're if, we're, if we're still here, then it works, and, and if not, then, of um, will be. then I'll say, well, that didn't work. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> of
0: course you will be, but it's funny, because each um, new chapter for you, I know there's always a sort of a thread of, of this passion behind them all, but... Looking at, through all of these chapters, you know, as I've said several times now, you're not picking the easy route. These To do good things, to be kind, like let's go back to basics, back to simple things. To be kind, to help other people, to do something good takes way more effort, way more energy, potentially adds more stress. And it's making me think of um, Tara Brack. I read one of her books and she put this really beautiful sentiment in the book saying... I don't know if it was hers or not, but every day you have to swerve off your own path to be kind. Because otherwise we would just be single-minded, doing our thing, taking the easy route. And it seems like that's that's kind of your maybe unspoken daily mission is to swerve off your own path and to do things that, that are good, that are right, that are kind. So yeah. I'm imagining as stressful as it can be, that just feels good to you too.
1: Yeah, look, I think... <laughs> I agree with all that. I think, like my version of that is, look, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty kind. I'm still flawed, like most. I, I definitely work hard every morning when I get up at the crack of dawn and look in the mirror and go, bloody hell, who's that? Oh, Christ. Okay, you can, <laughs> you're going to be happy today or you're going to be a miserable bastard. Yeah. You're going to be optimistic today or a miserable bastard. Are you going to try hard? You know, so that, I mean, that, that always helps. I mean, yeah. I, think, I, I mean, I generally speaking, generally, not always, but I think it's a choice whether you're bubbly and glass half full or not. And I work hard at that. Um, I think on the kindness thing, yeah, look, I, I, I try to apply kindness. I think kindness comes in different flavours. It comes in how you do things or what you do or the way you do things or what happens after you do something. But but also, I think, you know, the most magic thing of kindness is if you work with like-minded people, then you all benefit from the halo effect of amplified kindness. Like, like I, I'm no bloody star or angel, you know, I do I do a good job. But the fact that I employ people that are often better at me and that when i have a shit day and i don't feel quite as kind as i should be like they're kind and then it makes me less of an asshole so do you know what i mean like i mean it's yeah. like yeah, uh, you've got you've
0: got the right people we, around we have
1: um, never by intention never ever by intention but my team we're 150 here now you know started with zero 20 years ago that we've been about 85% women the whole journey so I think that quite a lot of the way that we do things, I'm not saying it's the way everyone should do it, but the way quite a lot of what we do is quite a female maternal thoughtfulness. And hopefully what my strange version of masculinity masculinity (laughs) gives. I mean, I also know as a boss of mainly women, like that's that I've tried to tune that art of trying to be a good boss of women for, for certainly the last 10 years. And it's, and it's definitely not one-size-fits-all, especially not in the, the modern-day era. And by the way, I think, I think that the modern-day woman has got it much harder than men. Absolutely, without question. Like, you know, there's still chemically, like, being a, a hard-working mum and trying to juggle kids if they're in the equation, that is really, really hard. So I think, interestingly, as a boss and as in the workplace... That's been fascinating, but also, and, and, and I don't know if people talk about it enough, but like, they need the masculine in the workplace. Do you know what I mean? Like, like just like, like the yin and the yang of it all. I think is really good, but definitely nothing good I've ever done has ever come without a lot of care culture from my female team here. There's nothing, nothing good, no award, no prize, no achievement have I ever done hasn't because there's been like good women. Because the thing about my girls, right, is they would work seven days a week for me. They really would. They really, really would. And I, I don't ask them to, but sometimes they have to. <laughs> but at the same time, they can turn up when they're They can go when they like. They don't have to work. Even before COVID, they could work from home on Mondays and Fridays. Why? Because we get... quick women don't need to be told to be somewhere nine to five to get the job done. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a job, we'll, we'll somehow get it done. Like I'm trying to learn multitasking, but it seems like you lot are really
0: good. We're <laughs> I'm quite really good, at good at it, at it. lately, like, yeah.
1: I wish I could learn it. But I think, I I mean, I definitely, I, I feel that. So we're quite a maternal business and um, we have quite a lot of parents here. <laughs> Even, we, you know, like most businesses are trying to get their kind of, stuff better for women in the workplace it's like actually what i realized a few years ago is, is the boys the boys were getting <laughs> i had to really look at paternity and sort of say actually this is terrible like i'm really <laughs> the men are not being given like so we had to balance that up a little bit but um yeah
0: it's so good and you know being a boss comes with its stresses anyway, especially with a big team like that. And you've had such a roller coaster over the years and the pain that you've talked to of losing your restaurants and having to deal with your team in that way. How do you cope with that level of stress? Are you good at managing it?
1: Yeah, and no, I'm like, I, I think, again, like, even like back in the day with 15, like, just being really, really honest. Like, I've got my veins of intelligence that I have like but like I was definitely stupid enough to do 15 like there was there was naivety or I don't know what it was but like without that and I'm basically what I'm saying as well is like being naive or uh, like not or or green or whatever you want to call it like it made me look at being young differently because if that Jamie did it and it's the best thing I've ever done and that Jamie wouldn't 10 years later then well what's better so like it's like damn like you know because Being well behaved and conservative and controlled and measured like, mm, well, maybe that wasn't what changed the dial a little bit. And I think for me with stress, like I'm unbelievably good at bubbling stuff. So like tasks, lots of different jobs in this business, very, very spread out. So bubble, bubble, bubble. And then when there's fires going off and it's all hells breaking loose, I could bubble it. Like, unbelievable talent. I mean, um, for people that suffer with stress, they're like, You lucky bastard, how do wow. you do that? So, I, I, but, but I think ultimately it's got to get out. Yeah. It, you can't be good at something feeling stress. Yeah. I mean, so how do
0: you, how are you ridding yourself of that stress? I,
1: well, I think I, I had a kidney stone and two slip discs and, and lived in pain for a year, two years, and probably. You know, for someone that's very optimistic and very bubbly, which I, I can credit myself with most of the time, uh, I probably got a bit flat, you know, which is sort of shame. And this lot need me to be bubbly because yeah. that's what pumps them up and... So, um, but I, I think actually my stress came out through like illness, really. And yeah. like, yeah, I, I really do. I know I'll, you it does. Know, you slip the disc. Physically. Oh, that's your emotions. <laughs> and people go, yeah, no, it's just slip the disc. But I, no, I actually think I think no, I, agree. I, I think there's a lot of chemistry going on in there. And if you can't cry or let it out, yep. Then some shit's gonna go on. Yep. And um, so I feel like probably from. Probably from 40 to 44 was probably my darkest time, I think, probably. Um, And then from lockdown to here, although lockdown was hideous in so many ways, like um, it was a kind of moment to sort of reimagine, rethink, recuperate, reignite, be grateful, think about the future. You know, the value of a year... It's Christmas again. I mean, for the love of God, what happened? For God's sake, you know, I know So how. it's like look, you know, um, and then sort of, then and then like all the good stuff, right? So I mean, it, it, I mean, this isn't a cheesy bridge back to the book, by the way. But but the book together, the subtitle is "Memorable Meals Made Easy." Like the currency is memories, not the food. It's the memories. The food's just there to like underline the moment. You know, so, it, yeah, the taste of the food, but how you serve it, the fact that that bit happens at the table and it's quick and it sort of like, like changes the conversation. And, you know, like it, the cocktail that loosens everyone. Like, so I think that's a gear. I mean, it's, it's not everything in food, but it's definitely a poignant gear. And I think certainly, well, forever, but certainly in the next two years, as people, my missus doesn't want to go to busy restaurants now. She doesn't. No way. Like, yeah, she's she's you know she's she's sensitive to she's just not. So and I think there's lots of people like that. Yeah. So I think so the fact that you can have mum and dad or your best friend come round and you can have six people, eight people round for dinner, and you know it'll be half the price of a restaurant meal when you can smash it. Mm, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so in a in a weird kind of way, it's kind of bring back the Great British dinner party.
0: And also, I think for people to. Um, do something with their hands and, and have that sort of catharsis of cooking. You obviously cook relentlessly when you're here at the office and all the, the work projects that you're conducting, but do you still find it relaxing? Is it still a lovely, pleasurable activity for you?
1: I think it can be whatever you want it to be. Right. And I think if you allow it to be chaotic, then it's either because you haven't invested in some really simple skills, which are really simple, um, or you just haven't invested in just five minutes a week of organizing the thing you spend the second largest amount of money on in your life after your mortgage right it's your weekly shop and basket data which is doesn't lie says that you and yeah that's you listening right now like your your basket data is the same every week bar four percent and if it's more than four percent then you're skew. yeah but you average out of four percent like like we buy the same stuff week in week out. Yeah, I, and
0: I'm annoyed at myself for doing that. Yeah. So I do it's, it. So
1: it's it's kind of like so. There's a few sort of things in my life that that sort of made radical difference. One is sort of sit down and plan. And like the Christmas is the perfect example for that, right? You sit down and you plan it, and and just that t- five minutes. Surely it's worth it. Well, I know it's worth it because it's the second largest amount of money you spend, right? So f- f- from saving money, and ne- you know next year everyone's going to have to save money, right? Yep. Like, because it's going to get tough. Food, pro- Everything's going to go up and probably pay rises are not going to happen. And it's going to get, it's going to get tricky next year. Um, so if you can save 5% of your shopping bill, 10%, you can, you can do that without compromise by being clever. And just like, and, but then nutritionally, the same. So like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to kind of like, you know, balance up the week. Oh, that, you've got a bit too much of that. Oh, we're just swinging a bit of that. I think next year I've got to work a little bit harder. We're, we're trying to do some things, actually. We're, we're launching the thing in January, which is sort of like, oh, it's kind of like a, um, like a, pl- it's kind of a hybrid of a planner. It's a community of cooks planning, inspiring hacks, tricks, shortcuts. Um, if you want to come and have a play on it. Like it oh, like that it sounds get amazing. Involved. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but basically that's going to become like, the heart of this whole building and every, the point I'm trying to do is like the expert that I've got in nutrition and there's three of them, like like some of the best in the country, like we're all gonna be on service to this little club. Um so we're gonna try and work really hard for these people and, and maybe it will work. And, and and it's really weird as well, like without trying to get that like, campaigning again, like if people are questioning care and voting and can they make a difference, the most powerful vote ever is what you spend your cash yep. on. So just by swinging from one to the other, I look. It's, and I'm not saying that there's a, always a, a light and a shade and a right and a wrong, but let's just take, say, I don't know, like organic milk over regular milk. Like it's the easiest, cheapest trade up. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Yeah. The last time I checked, it was like ten pence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like. But it's 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 marginal, and the system that you're supporting is radically different. And it's so, so this,
0: important that we start. Understanding that difference because I think a lot of the time we don't. We're like you say, ignorance is bliss. We're just going, Oh, it doesn't make a difference. But it, you know, on an environmental tip, it makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, huge. Yeah, no, I think so. That it's interesting that, that that conversation about health, that conversation about environment, and like I kind of always knew it, but basically, it's the same thing. It is, yeah, like right? you know, essentially what the planet needs and what we need is more plants, yeah, fruit, nuts, and seeds, and good, thoughtful farming and husbandry and then the other thing what was the other thing it was sleep oh so like so I'm how's not that going? so well one thing was planning five minutes to plan the other one is switch the, the I guess the lens of how you view sleep that was a, a radical so have you change. done that were
0: you not sleeping and now you're sleeping well
1: so yeah I mean basically when I went back to study nutrition I, I was also able to to meet one of the best sleep scientists in the country and he blew my mind, a guy called Jason. He's like just There's a little double page spread in that book that just like sums up the top end of it. And it's like, I was getting like four hours sleep a night. Whoa. And it was the phone was off the hook and I was like answering in different countries questions and approving pictures. And, and I think like sleep is like a huge problem for this country. Yeah. Um, and then that connects into everything else, whether it's kind of, how we feel, depression, yeah. um, health. I mean, you know, you, this is really it affects long. everything. Every, everything. I mean, there's not many functions. I don't think there's any function in the human body that isn't affected yeah. by lack of sleep or correct hydration. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, I kind of thought, well, actually, I quite enjoy work. when well, I'm not doing campaigns. Um, <laughs> uh, I quite enjoy work. So I'm going to treat that like a hobby. Mm. And I'm going to treat sleep, which is this weird thing that no one ever tells you about ever as nope. a kid we presume it happens like a button there you go oh sleep like no no I'm going to treat sleep like work so I set alarms for me to go to bed like a little baby. And what, what um, does that mean? You um, have to
0: turn your phone off at this point. What's your sort of sleep hygiene? So, so
1: basically, try and get in bed for 10 if I can, unless I'm yeah. doing something. Uh, have reminders to remind me. Go to bed. It's like <laughs> quarter to 10. Like, but technology can do that. Um, uh, open the window. You want a cool room. Don't have a bath or a shower before sleep. Oh, why is that? Uh, you don't want to raise the body temperature. Oh, wow. That's and, really
0: fucked my night up. Yeah, right. and my
1: wife. She don't listen to me, by the way. She don't listen
0: right, right. Okay. but if you want
1: if you want the expert advice then oh, i
0: really like my bath before
1: bed. That, they, yeah. well look you do it an hour before but like right. not right before i would have to
0: start getting the bath for like 6 p.m
1: yeah well look it's oh, it's all about the the quality of the waves of sleep right and if you're constantly drunk when you go to bed no that, that will affect the that's waves gone. I used um, to be. interesting one is if you're too hydrated Oh. So, And that's not necessarily linked to wanting to go to the toilet more, which of course will happen if I'd you do think that. Well. Yeah. But my wife is so good at hydrating. But it's, 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 it's actually about the, um, the hydration of your blood. And right. therefore how the heart pumps the blood. And then that entail affects the waves of the sleep. Yeah. Um, so it's all about quality. And then for me, just learning that one wave kind of is placing cognitive, what you've learned into the right place in the right little memory bank and slotting it in and like, you know, all right, so remember better, learn better, great, okay. And then the next one is just like, devoted to sort of like, health and restore and repair and and essentially, you know, if, if you class rogue cells as cancer, then fighting cancer, all of that stuff. So that was a big turning point in my life because I was really... I think I was quite hurting myself at the time.
0: Well, it's so about, like,
1: seven years ago. And, it, and yeah. like, it was just... I didn't even see it coming. And I think, that like, the technology in the phones was making it much worse.
0: And when you're not sleeping um, and, and you're working that relentlessly... And, again, I've seen you work like this from afar since the 90s when I first met you. Yeah. It has been relentless. When you're working to that extent and you're checking emails at God knows what hour you're not sleeping... What's driving that? Is that because you want to succeed? Is it because you want to see change happen? What is driving you rather than going, you know what, I'm taking my foot off the gas a bit. I'm, I'm going to pull back.
1: It's like in some respects, like in the working day, that's very measured and organized. And we try and get better and better at that and squeeze more and more in over the years. But then when I get home, it's sort of I'm, I've always been quite available. I've, I'm not like I speak, you know, speak to my P.A., you know, it, I've always been quite accessible. So um, I tend to get hit pretty hard when I'm home.
0: Yeah.
1: For a few hours, which can be okay and can be not okay, depending on uh, if George is trying to have a conversation with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put your phone down! Um, and that—that uh, that is the hard crack to, yeah. to stop because it's, you know, it's a bit like Tetris. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of got all the you know, you've got a few in a row and you're just waiting for a four one to come. A four come in and it's sort of like, like that just gets a load of crap out of your life and signed off. Yeah, and, and you um, like your job.
0: So yeah. this is the problem I have. I don't sometimes want to switch off. The kids go to bed and I think, oh, I can start writing that article or whatever I'm doing because yeah. I want to do it. And then you're knackered. I think
1: it's just trying to be a bit more restrained about it. But I tell you, like, in lockdown as well, I started... Um, I used to be in a band years ago, I used to you're drum. You're a great drummer, it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But thir- well, I wouldn't say great, but I, I used to think I was great. <laughs> I think you're um, good, aren't you? <laughs> can, I, can, I could probably fake that I look great. Um, but um, no, nah, I mean, it's, uh, I would drum for 13 years. And then in lockdown, my mum gave me this letter from my nan that was so sweet. And I, I think I was the only person mentioned in her will to specifically get this piano and she goes, oh, no, I you know Jamie's going to put it to good use. And I'm like, Mum, she's been dead like five years. Where's the bloody piano? <laughs> and uh, she goes, oh, it's at the pub. They love it on a Friday night. They have a little sing-along. I'm like, yeah, it's your mum's last words. Oh, like, bless. where's the piano? So um, they, they gave me the piano. And um, that was just before lockdown. And then in lockdown, uh, I started tinkling. And actually, Ooh. that's been my therapy as well. So I, I can't play very well, by the way. But um, I think, um, again, which I think is a quite... An, in, an exciting thing, because the idea that you have to be great at everything yeah. to contribute is absolute rubbish. I mean, so I think really it's about the process as well. Like you're enjoying and doing it, the intention, it. and yeah. So I, I started writing chords and chord progressions. It would literally take me six weeks to get one set of chord progressions, and then um, I worked with this guy called Toby Tripp, who is a, a credible musician, but he will arrange it all for me. Uh, and we'll put it together. And we've done all the music for the last two series. And I have to say, that has been definitely my therapy for the That's last so um, two years. Yeah. It's, obviously, it's a world I used to know because I was in the band for years. But it's kind of gone beyond percussion, which is lovely. Well, um, my
0: son just, well my, well, my husband just got a drum kit, which my son has discovered, shall we yeah, say? yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know about it. I don't know. I, yeah. He had like an electric one before. That's been discarded. We've now got the proper drum kit. Yeah. <sighs> it's not uh, great. It's an
1: amazing instrument, I have to say. And there's, um, you know, I've got some heroes. Ash Shone, who's like the most amazing session drummer. And he's like genius. And then you've probably, have you heard of Yusuf Days? No. Uh, so like Tom Mish and Yusuf Days did this album in lockdown that's probably one of my favourite albums. Ooh, check that out. It is so good and like Yusuf Day's I've never met him, don't know him, but like you know when you like this geezer oozes.
0: Yeah.
1: Oozes soul and rhythm. Yeah. And and Tom Mish, who I'm sure you do know, is like he's like just this genius songwriter who does loads of stuff for other people. He does his own thing. Like he's just writing and writing he's prolific mm. and, I, and I don't know how old he is but I have I a feeling I, ha- I have a feeling he is very young and ultra talented but but their sound is quite different as well I, I really I really really like it so and, and I tell you what it was really nice just to finish that story was so writing some chord progressions on my nanny's piano fast forward two months and I've got an orchestra in Abbey Road Studio 2 which I know you would have been to yes it's the um, most
0: glorious place on the planet
1: and recording it in the same room that the Beatles did their thing and just the sound of an orchestra. Wow. That makes you, because when we did together the TV series, by the way, just for context, myself and Channel 4 took a punt on it because it was still illegal to have people come around their house. So we had to do all the pre-production, which I know you know is like months, yeah. right? And then we were legal by three days.
0: Whoa. Three
1: days. So I knew that like, um, visually the food had to mean something. Um, half of the guests in the series were friends and family that sincerely I hadn't been with for the whole of lot. that's so nice and then the other half was something I'd never done before which was complete strangers and they were people I put it out to social and we had to sort of had the hard job of picking but essentially it was like teachers nurses uh, midwives volunteers doctors we had them all come around my house that's and so I just nice. got to feed them and get them drunk and have a have a great time and laugh and giggle and so when we were putting. in like, I knew what the food was, and I knew the crew were badass, and I knew how we were going to film it. But then, of course, being involved in the music, it's like, of course, we need an orchestra. Like, because wow. only an orchestra can make your hairs go like that. So, um, yeah, hopefully, like, there's, I think it's in the middle of the Christmas special version of that is out. I think it'll be like mid December. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, it's, a, it's really a precious mm, I bet it show. Is. And hopefully, it, it gives you some lovely ideas to cook some amazing things but um, but I guess more importantly kind of yeah well not more importantly but hopefully it makes you feel I don't know
0: it's, for me it's cosy yeah cosy I, I cosy I just it's yeah. a gorgeous gorgeous book I love the aubergine I'm going to do something from it tonight I don't know what yet but I'll, I'm going to work something out I'm definitely doing some of the Christmas cocktails 100% the cocktails in the book are beautiful <laughs> as ever it's been so we could probably talk all day
1: you. if we wanted we would. To.
0: we would be. I would have eaten all the satsumas and quality street and <laughs> Uh-huh. we would have got, got, got uh, the old Campari out I'm sure at some point as well but thank you so much for today Glad Jamie so nice to see you bring back the great British dinner party yes yes now look, you know I prefer a night in so that is a great plan for me to be in my house Preferably in my slippers. And now I've got all these gorgeous recipes in Jamie's new book, Together, Memorable Meals Made Easy. It's a no-brainer. Jamie, thank you for inviting me to your beautiful office. And Test Kitchen, epic event space, whatever it is. It's wonderful. I had the best time. Jamie gave a bit of a nod to us needing to be more thoughtful about our farming system during that chat. We might just be picking up on that train of thought coincidentally with next week's guest. so make sure you're back here for that by following the podcast for free on your favourite platform. Thank you so much to Jamie, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio and to you lovely lot I'm going to catch you soon <coughs>